words on water. Welcome to Words on Water, a podcast from the Water Environment Federation. This is the host, Travis Loop. First episode of 2021, and the big news, of course, in 2020 was the coronavirus pandemic, uh, and including how it's impacted the water sector. Uh, There was some legislation that came out of Congress just before the holiday break that we're going to talk about today. I am joined by two guests. I'm with Steve Dye. He is the Legislative Affairs Director for the Water Environment Federation. And we have Jason Myers, a partner with Barnes & Thornburg. He's out of their Dallas office. Uh, Guys, thanks so much for coming on to talk about this. Um, Steve, so I'd love to hear uh, this, this legislation that came out of Congress that they passed, I think, just before Christmas. Um, what, what did we see in there that the water sector was, was hoping for? Yeah, thanks, Travis, and uh, Happy New Year to everybody. Um, hope everybody had a nice holiday break. Uh, we're starting 2021 in a flurry here, uh, but uh, there are a few things that wrapped up 2020 in Congress that were uh, fairly significant and interesting and uh, has some potential to be beneficial to the water sector. Um, but uh, a few things that are still left on the table that we were going to be pushing forward with in twenty in the year 2021. Um, yeah, just some of the stuff in the COVID package. Uh, and as I'm sure most of the listeners heard, there was, it was quite a, an arduous process to get to a final agreement uh, between multiple stakeholders in Congress. And the, the final package was this, was this bipartisan coalition between House and Senate members uh, that, that um, they had to take a few things out to make the final agreement work. Um, but they did take into consideration some of the things we have been pushing for as a, as a water, as WEF in the water sector. Uh, and we were pleased to see it. Uh, is a, some of it was a half a loaf, but a half a loaf is better than no loaf. And uh, so we'll be a few things going into 2021 that we'll be working on. So the, the biggest thing that we'd really been looking for and we've been working on for the year was, uh, and WEF had sent several letters along with a number of the other national water associations that I think Travis will provide uh, to, to the listeners through the, the website, um, was we, uh, we did seek $1.5 billion in uh, low-income and unemployed ratepayer assistance uh, to help people pay their their utility bills that they've been they're delinquent on um, that are in arrears, um, we didn't get that 1.5 billion. We got 638 million dollars, um, which was good. Uh, I hope in 2021 that we'll be seeing another bite of the apple there on that, and we'll get into that in a few minutes. But um, but yeah, the $638 million is an aid to low in income drinking water and wastewater utility rate payers. Uh, the, the way that it'll work would be something similar to the uh, LIHEAP program, if most people are familiar with that. It's gonna be run through the HHS, not through EPA, it'll be through HHS, and they're gonna go out to the states, and the states will work with utilities in their states to identify their ratepayers that would qualify for this program to get assistance. Uh, and, and the states would then 
receive funding through the HHS and they would delegate those dollars out to the utility. So it'll be critical here once those dollars start to, once this program starts to be stood up by HHS and the states for utilities to be working with their states to identify the members of their community who would qualify for assistance. And it's, I think, 150% below, 150 below uh, median uh, poverty level, national poverty level, but I think also for states that have a higher cost of living, it's 150% below or above, sorry, I, I can't remember how they structured it, <laughs> above the, the poverty level threshold. So you'll utilities should look at those uh, members of their community, their, their rate payers that are, that are financially distressed uh, and qualify as, as um, low income. And then they will be able to work with the states to get those numbers into the states and the states would then get the dollars from the HHS and it would flow out to everybody. Um, the other thing that was in the package um, that was positive to see um, was they included these dollars, about uh, $25 billion for, in rental assistance uh, people who are struggling to, to, to pay their rent. Um, and those dollars, it, most of it goes towards paying the rent, but it does allow for 20% of it to be used for paying your utility bills. That includes wastewater and drinking water utilities specifically. Uh, so you, so you, un, you know, folks who are gonna be receiving this rental assistance can use those dollars to pay their utilities. Um, it does include other forms of utilities, energy, uh, electricity, and things like that. Um, but it'll it'll be dollars of people who are struggling to uh, you know keep them keep themselves housed to be able to keep their utilities working as well. Um, yeah, so I think that's kind of those are the two big things in the package uh, that we were pleased to see. Um, yeah, thank you, Steve. I know that uh, utilities have have been hit pretty hard over the past year with uh, because of because of these issues. Um, and because of ratepayers uh, having it having it tough, like you said, and because of the the hit to uh, a lot of municipal budgets, um, Jason, I'd love to hear uh, from you on some kind of bigger picture relief that is still very relevant uh, to the water sector and to employers and to organizations out there, especially around CARES funding and the uh, payroll protection program. Certainly, uh, thank thank you for having me. Happy New Year to all. Um, one of the, you know, the, the trade-offs uh, that Steve mentioned that, um, you know, was needed to, to you know, get cut from, from the final deal uh, was direct funding to, to uh, you know, state and local governments. Unfortunately, that, that didn't make the cut that was needed. You know, the, the Democrats were pushing that as one of their key pr pr provisions they wanted to see. The Republicans were pushing uh for for protection uh for employers from lawsuits those two items got dropped from the final bill in order to to get something forward uh so there is no new money available to state and local governments under this new legislation however they, they did make a, a key uh, uh clarification and extension of any existing cares act money uh there's about 150 billion i believe it was in the original cares act that went to states and to larger municipalities. Uh, so it, this new legislation extended the use of any of that unsp uns unspent money that can continue to be spent uh, through the end of 2021. So to the extent that uh, uh, you know, municipality or, or water utility 
has been able to access those funds through its state or through its county, uh, those you know, processes and those funds should still be able to be pursued. Mm. Um, Another uh, element of the, the, the new legislation uh, you know, that I'm, I'm particularly focused on and what I do is, is the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP. Um, there, there was you know, a lot of news around this, uh, certainly within 2020, <laughs> got a lot of attention, uh, both good and bad, uh, but it's a very positive program. So they, they've uh, added sort of a second drop provision uh, to the PPP program. Before I get into that, though, I think there's a few key uh, elements of the legislation I want to highlight because they, they affect any uh, existing PPP loans, any borrowers that received the PPP loan under the initial program, and, and they're very important to highlight. Uh, perhaps most critically, in my opinion, is uh, uh, the had a legislative override of an IRS uh, regulation. When the IRS, uh, well, you take a step back, the CARES Act initially said that the any uh, forgiveness of a PPP loan would not be included within gross income for the PPP borrower. So the intent was not to make this a taxable event for, for borrowers. Uh, the IRS, though, uh, in a sort of utilizing its standard procedures and standard forms of analysis, you know, determined, you know, pursuant to the legislation that forgiveness wouldn't be income. However, a borrower could not deduct uh, the, the expenses it received, it paid normal operating expenses that it would normally be able to deduct, uh, not be able to do that as on its tax return if it used forgiven loan proceeds to pay for those expenditures. So the IRS essentially said, well, if we can't get you one way, we'll get you another. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's what they do. <laughs> uh, so this new legislation has provision that clarifies that, uh, that uh, no deduction will be essentially disallowed so that borrowers uh, will be able to, uh, again, receive a PPP loan, have it forgiven, not have that forgiveness amount included in gross income, but also still be able to take those expenses that they normally would be able to take. It doesn't create new deductions, but it allows them to take deductions of ordinary operating expenses that they use PPP loan proceeds to, to pay for. So in my opinion, as I said, I think this is one of the, the most critical elements of this legislation for PPP borrowers. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for explaining that. It's it's a lot to track. It's very complicated, uh, and so it's it's valuable to have folks like you out there that are paying close attention to it. Um, Steve, are there, is there anything that uh, else in in the legislation maybe that the water sector was hoping for um, that that didn't materialize or um, that that we didn't want in there that didn't get in? <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, um, something we had been working on throughout the year, and I, I really want to thank uh, all the WEF members who had also engaged with uh, with a lot of the graph, grassroots efforts that we'd done throughout the year to write Congress and 
and to, uh, through the Water Advocates Program to reach out to, to their members of Congress asking for assistance for communities and utilities for who are dealing with um, you know, lost revenues due to the COVID crisis. Uh, the, the Water Advocates Program had a call to action out throughout most of the year, and we got over 1,600 letters from members of Congress, uh, to two members of Congress through the WEF's members. So it was really fantastic uh, grassroots support we got on this. Um, and But unfortunately, like I said, the, the, the ratepayer assistance stuff was in there. Uh, unfortunately, the monies that we were seeking for lost revenues was not in there. Uh, we had been asking for $26 billion for utilities that had seen a significant dip in their revenues, um, realizing some communities, some utilities really haven't suffered a, as much as other communities, utilities that, are, that have a lot of industrial clients or customers. Uh, big buildings, manufacturing, city centers, they, they saw a little bit more lost revenue than some of the, you know, utilities that serve primarily suburban communities because they, you know, everybody's working at home, so they're flushing the toilets more at home, uh, you know, but that, 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 the, the, the way we had been parsing it with Congress was we'd like to see some dollars go to, just to help utilities make them whole, that way they don't have to, make tough decisions with O&M decisions and construction plan planned construction for the you know the next couple of years. Um, so we had been seeking $26 billion. Unfortunately it wasn't in there, just like Jason was saying, other things such as you know money for local utility local municipalities that we've been also supportive of was not also in the package. That was part of I think just part of the negotiation process that went on towards the end to get a final package together. Um, you know, we both on the utility assistance as well as the municipal, general municipal aid stuff, which really the big, you know, National League of Cities and Conference of Mayors and NACO, National Association of Counties have been also spearheading. We had also been very supportive of those efforts as well. And so we're hopeful that, you know, in the next round, uh, they, they, they look at those hard and, you know, in, in a COVID package in, in the year ahead with, uh, you know, Biden, Biden has made it very clear that he wants to do another COVID package. Um, so uh, we're hopeful that we see some of that stuff in there in that round. Other thing that didn't show in the packet, show up in the, in the package that we were concerned about was that there was talk about doing some sort of moratorium on cutoffs uh, some national moratorium that would restrict uh, a utility from being able to, you know, make a make a managerial decision that they're going to, um, you know, e execute cutoffs to ratepayers who are not uh, paying their bills. Um, that's a tough decision. Nobody wants to make that decision, but you also got to run a business. You got to have revenues uh, to to make it work. Um, and so we had been arguing that local communities and states are the where those that decision should be made uh, and not a national moratorium. Um, and fortunately, Congress did not include anything on a around a national moratorium on cutoffs in the package. So we we're pleased to see that. Um, you know, we don't know what'll happen in the next go around with the, another package. So we'll be we'll be still making the point that this these those decisions on what to do around cutoffs need to be make it, made at a local and a, and a state or regional level, uh, just because that's where the, that's where, you know, communities have to decide on how they're going to, how they're going to work and uh, address these challenges that they're both economic and public health challenges that are being had, being created by the COVID crisis. Um, 
Yeah. So I think was, I think Jason also you we we'd spoken before briefly about the PPP program that that you know the second bit dip at the monies there maybe you want to touch on that a little bit too in the 501c sixes yeah yeah be glad to um so so the the other element of the the ppp portion of the this new legislation is that it it creates uh, a second draw opportunity uh so borrowers who received a, a ppp loan previously can get a second ppp loan also, even though it's referred to as a second draw opportunity, it's not limited to only borrowers who previously got a PPP loan. So anybody who fits the eligibility requirements uh, can can apply for this. Um, one of the you know interesting things compared to the original CARES Act legislation, this legislation narrows the scope of uh, eligible entities. It is uh, previously, it was 500 employees in the first round of the PPP. This one uh, clarifies it's 300 employees and, and there aren't other sort of uh, ways to perhaps have a larger employee base. Um, so it's a 300 employee cutoff um, you know, for the program. Also, there's a requirement that the borrower uh, has, has suffered a 25% a reduction in revenues uh, on a, it's essentially a quarterly test year over year. So you take a quarter within 2020, second quarter, for example, compare that to the second quarter of 2019. Uh, so you have that quarterly comparison to for a 25% reduction in revenue in order to be eligible for this PPP loan second draw opportunity. Uh, they've expanded some of the uh, allowable uses and, and expenses for which a company can be included, can include them to receive forgiveness. For example, uh, worker protection, protection expenditure. So uh, you know, putting in sneeze guards or, or other barriers or other new ventilation systems, that, you know, steps like that to, to improve worker protection uh, enhanced safety, uh, those are now eligible expenses under this PPP second draw program. There are some others as well. Um, but one of the important things is that uh, in order to receive forgiveness, they maintain the 60% uh, requirement that 60% uh, of the forgiven amounts are used on payroll expenses. Uh, one of the other elements that uh, Steve just touched on um, is that the, the program has been expanded and so that uh, certain 501c6 organizations are now eligible uh, to, if, uh, to receive this uh, a PPP loan. Uh, again, there's the 300 employee limitation, but there is also a requirement on uh, limited, only limited lobbying activity permitted. 15% of receipts, for example, 15% of activities or no more than a million dollars spent on lobbying activities. Uh, but it, it does open up to uh, the, the PPP program to uh, a, a group of nonprofits that were not eligible under the initial loan program. Uh, one other point, uh, Steve has you know mentioned a few times about the new Biden administration, you know, perhaps having uh, impact. One of one of the things I, I find interesting, uh, and and that'll be critical moving forward, is that uh, the SBA is going to have to uh, create new regulations, new application forms, new forgiveness forms, 
a whole host of regulatory steps that need to be taken to, to implement this new legislation. Uh, some of that is mandated to start uh, as early as this week. We'll see if it actually does come out or not. Other parts of those regulations aren't mandated to, to go into effect until after uh, Joe Biden gets sworn in as president. And so, you know, one of the things I'm going to be looking forward going, you know, going forward looking at is obviously just what those regulations are. But if there is any shift in sort of approach, um, you know, un under the initial PPP program, you know, the, the regulations at times came out slow, at times, you know, didn't always address all, all the questions that were out there until well after the fact. So um, what I'm hoping, and you know, that, that often created a lot of anxiety for borrowers as they're trying to make real time, you know, business decisions, keep their, their businesses and their organizations going, uh, you know, without having certain certainty on uh, key regulatory aspects. So what my hope is at least that uh, for, for whatever reason, there, there is at least a quicker turnaround in the regulatory implementation of this new program. Yeah, thank you very much. Critical information. Steve. I just had a quick clarifying question for Jason. Um, you said 300 people. That means a company that employs under 300 people qualify for the PPP program, and but over 300, they don't qualify, correct? Correct. Okay. So, and that, that it also implies to... 501c3s like WEF's member associations. Correct. Okay. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the 300 employee is a test across the board. Uh, unless you're a in the uh, essentially hospitality and restaurant business uh, in a ICS code 72, uh, it's a 300 employee per location test. Got it. Okay. Thanks. Great. Um, Steve, I, I wondered also if you could just kind of cl uh, close us out by ticking through the uh, omnibus, omnibus bill and what was in there for the water sector. I think there's some key dollar figures that folks will be interested in. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, it was a, a big package. They rolled everything together. It was actually uh, over five 5,600 pages long. So it made for a lot of uh, interesting reading to, to drudge through it all. Um, oh, but, you, read, you read all of that, huh? Yeah, you know, I got through it in an evening. It was it just yeah. get me busy, right? <laughs> um, no, but in all seriousness, uh, the keyword search uh, is an awesome thing. <laughs> um, but uh, no, they um, they did include their that all the FY twenty one. Uh, bills that were left undone, which were most of them anyway, they bundled them all up and they tacked them all together to make a really big expensive package and made us all very nervous when President Trump was suggesting he wasn't gonna sign it for a while there because then would have the wheels would have come off on a lot of things. Uh, but no, they they did include in, in there the, the uh, EPA uh, portion of, the, of their FY21 budget uh, in the, included in there the, the programs that we follow very closely and advocate for. Um, the Clean Water SRF is going to get level funding at $1.6 billion for FY21. The Drinking Water SRF as well will get level funding at $1.1 billion. Um, the WIFIA program, uh, essentially level funding as well, uh, $59.5 million. So you, that is a you know, 100 to 1 leveraging ratio. So you're talking about almost uh, $6 billion in, in leverage loan authority that the EPA and the Treasury Department will have to, to give low interest loans for water projects. So that's, that's also a nice little cash 
of money that's available. Um, the, uh, the, the newer things in there that we were pleased to see continue to get funded were the, the new EPA Water Workforce Development Grant Program, which was authorized at about a million dollars. They bumped it up to $3 million in grant dollars for um, utilities to work with um, workforce development entities within their communities to, to do water workforce development programs. Um, so that'll be funded in FY21. Uh, so look at that uh, in the future. Uh, as well, if you if you're with a community utility that has workforce development needs, which all of them do, frankly, um, and then the uh, EPA overflow control and stormwater municipal reuse grant program uh, acronym for it is the OSG program that still hasn't been fully stood up by the EPA and they're they're working on getting everything squared away with that program, uh, but it'll soon be out the door and it was funded in FY20 at 28 million dollars. FY21, it's going to get uh, $40 million. So those are going to be grant dollars uh, that'll actually run through, although it's federal funding, it'll be go given to the states and the states will then give it out to communities that have kind of CSO, SSO infrastructure needs, stormwater, MS4, uh, you know, infrastructure needs. Um, it'll probably be targeted to really the, the, the communities that have the, the most severe problems these first few rounds, but it did get a, a, a little bit of a bump up in funding levels for FY21. Um, not the full funded, not, not the full authorized level of $225 million that we were asking for, but still it's, you know, it's, it's some dollars that'll be grant dollars, not loan dollars, but grant dollars going out to communities to help them. Um, yeah, those are the big things uh, we we're pleased to see in there. Um, lots of other little parts and pieces, but, uh, you know, now we move onward and upward to FY. Uh, 22. <laughs> That'll get co get going here soon enough. Absolutely. Uh, Steve, for uh, listeners who uh, may want to help add their voice to uh, efforts in th this coming year on these issues or, or others that are in, in front of uh, the federal government, uh, I know we have our Water Advocates Program. Can you let people know how they can uh, look into that and participate? Really? Yeah, that's great. Really easy. Um, go to WEF.org. Uh, there's a tab along the top there that's, uh, that is uh, the Government Affairs tab. I'm pulling it up now to make sure I'm saying this right. Sorry. <laughs> put you on the spot. The tab along the top uh, says for advocacy, it's a drop-down tab. You, you click that drop-down tab there and, it'll, uh, and it'll, uh, you'll see the Water Advocates Program is one of the little click through links uh, under the drop down. There's that under that advocacy tab, there's all kinds of good things there that you can keep track of what's going on on, on legislative and regulatory affairs that, that WEF's involved with and following, including WEF's position statements on things. So, but most importantly, yeah, use the Water Advocates Program to, to write Congress, to, to be engaged on, on, on the grassroots advocacy uh, with, with Congress. That's really, really critical tool for helping our sector uh, with advocating for our priorities. Grassroots advocacy is, is the most impactful way of, of uh, helping policymakers make decisions. It's more, more effective than mostly anything else out there. Grassroots is really critical. So do that as well as we, we'll do our, F, we'll do our uh, 2021 uh, 
uh, Water Week again. Um, it's going to be a virtual event again in 2021, uh, and we're going to be doing it with all the other water associations collaboratively. So uh, keep your eye out for more information on that moving forward. It's the it's the last week of April, fall, rolling into May uh, in in 2021, and so it will be a lot of like grassroots. Uh, virtual advocacy during that event as well. So um, please participate in that. Um, it's easy. You don't have to fly to DC, uh, though we would love to have you out in DC to help do it in person, maybe in 2022, but uh, for 2021, just, yeah, help us, help us out doing it virtually. Fantastic. Well, Jason and Steve, uh, thank you both for the ton of terrific critical information here. Uh, I know there'll be more to come this year and so look forward to following up on, on future activities from, uh, from DC. But thank you both very much. Thank you. Words on water.